You are listening to The Break, fastest podcast for the week, the 24th of September to the 28th of September, a short one. Because it was a public holiday for the footy. Yeah. Uh, highlights this week included, uh, we had a chat to Joanne Ryan, who was doing a show at the Melbourne Fringe called Existentialism. Existentialism. Ex- existentialism. Uh, and also we had a chat about um, I went, uh, going back to work. I went going back to work. And um, I don't know, squirting and oozing came up. Yeah. They're fun words. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked to Benjamin Gilmore, the director, and the actor Sam Smith about their film, Jerg, an amazing Australian film shot in Afghanistan. And we caught up with our bug man, Simon Hinckley. Tell us all about nasty scorpions. Nasty, nasty scorpions. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're listening to Breakfasters. It is time for the weekend chat. Hooray. Hooray. Oh, Jeff, since you're so excited. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Let myself in for it now. Uh, yeah, I had a lovely weekend. Um, I love this time of year. I really, really cool. like it. it. I was... never pay much attention to the weather, but spring yeah. Spring is good. It was Yeah, it was a beautiful day on Saturday. Uh, did you get out and about? Uh, no, I did on... Well, I, I did on Sunday. I was a little bit hungover on Sunday. Um, we went out to Chinatown with some friends, and then we went. To, ended up in Berlin bar and drank okay. a lot of um, <laughs> German beer, which was nice. Oh, nice! Yeah, it was a good their, beer drinking weekend. Yeah, they like the beer, the Germans. Um, and um, so that was lovely. And then on Sunday, I was going for a run along the Yarra Bank. Um, in the spring weather, admiring the swans and yes. so forth. Yes. And I saw a snake. Oh, did you? what did you do? Well, it was just in the side of the, just a little one in the side of the, sort of the gardeny bit next to the path. So it wasn't causing any trouble or doing any harm or whatever. Do you know what kind of snake it was? I think it was a tiger snake. Oh. Yeah. But, what you know, made you think that? Ah. Uh, I'm sort of stripes. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sort of thinking that I saw stripes. I only just saw, I saw the tail of it. It was going wow. along or whatever. But, um, I think it's kind of good, actually. I was thinking about that. One of the things I like about living along near there is just seeing that all there are all these, all these animals that are actually managing to live. That life abounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that life abounds. But you know that 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 interact with the people and stuff. Like like the fact that the swan can just be sitting there on its nest and they just put a rope around it and it just yeah. seems happy enough and no one annoys it. Yeah, hope we'll, that we'll snake sees that rope. Oh yeah. <laughs> Think about that. Uh, so, and then I went to see. I went to see that movie that um, that uh, Haley was telling us about on on Saturday. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, we were good. We were meant yeah, to go. It was, yeah, it was good. We were meant to go, but that fell apart. But it's good. Yeah, should go and see it. And it, um, it's so thinking about this. It's so good working in this job and having all these people who come every week and recommend films. No. You should go and see. Uh, uh, and then on Sunday, I did some work and went to visit my mum. So it was a very nice weekend. Lovely. That is a lovely weekend. Uh, I went to Bendigo on Friday night and did a gig, um, which is really... Did you nearly go to Ballarat? No, no. (laughs) Uh, And it was good because I got a... I, I got a lift with somebody else. I was like, oh, it might be nice not, not to drive. And 
It was great. Um, yeah, and it was all women on the bill. And I was so worried about that because there was quite a few people on. I was like, oh, my God, this night's going to go forever. I was like, oh, no, actually, women tend to stick to time. Yeah. So right. <laughs> <laughs> we all kind of, you know, did our time and then left at a reasonable hour. But, but it was a great gig. Uh, and then Saturday uh, I went to Fringe and I saw uh, Wool, A History of Australia's Wool Industry, the musical. Was it good? So good. Really? Yeah, but it was the last show on, Sunday, on, on that Saturday and the best part about it, matinee, two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, great time. Oh, I loved it. It was so good. Had a big sleep in on, on Saturday because oh, I got home so late. Um, so I had a big sleep in and then uh, went out for lunch, went to the courthouse for in North Melbourne for nice. lunch and then just popped over the road. Watched a fringe show, and then on the way home, Kath dropped me off at the gasso, oh, and I watched the footy. What is that perfect day? Yeah, bit of culture, <laughs> bit of footy, <laughs> bit of food. It was great, and I just sat there and I was uh, drank some beers at the at the gasso. So funny, I was um, drinking two birds, and um, this guy came up to the bar. And he goes, "I'll get a oh, what is it? Um, can I get a glass of the the two ladies?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, mate, there's two birds. In my head, that guy looks like like an Englishman. Yeah, yeah uh, no, not far off it, mate. Yeah. Uh, and then, so, yeah, watch the footy. Poor days. Poor days. Yeah, that was, that was really hard. It's a shame their flight got cancelled, but there they are. Um, as in they didn't show up. It was a joke that so many oh. people made. Over the weekend. Oh, okay. Well, I missed it then. I don't know so, why. My brain's a bit slow today. No, that's right. It's I Monday thinking, morning. Did they not turn up? <laughs> yeah. Was the game cancelled? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they said. But oh, they okay. they were there, but they weren't. Uh, and then um, I went to a kid's birthday party on Sunday oh, Sunday lovely. morning. Very wholesome, well-rounded mm. weekend, Jess. Was there a petting zoo at the kid's party? No, but party food. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's mm-hmm. nearly as good. Uh, what did I do? You didn't I, have a weekend. You had a four-day weekend. I know. I did. Well, three, yeah, three days. I had to do some work on Thursday. Oh, yeah. so I don't, I don't know, know if that counted. Four days in my head. But I did get to go out for dinner on Thursday night with girlfriends and have three glasses of wine, which felt really... Ooh. I know. I was like, hey, give me a third. Uh, so Friday at the footy, obviously, it was so... It was such a nice day. Right, Everything up until the game was the best day. <laughs> I slept in, didn't hear any of you guys. <laughs> um, got, got ready really slowly and got everything together and um, made my way in to Richmond by about 2pm to meet my Tiger girls, uh, my mates that I go to the footy with a lot. And we met. It was so nice. We got off at the MCG with my friend Amy, who's been in hospital sick. That was a bit, she was a bit dragging her dead body across <laughs> the MCG for the game. But we met and we went to Rowena Parade with Arena Rowena Parade Corner Stories, which has been there since like 100 years and, and its owner con um, makes like serves a lot of the footballers' food and stuff. Uh, and it's a real Richmond stronghold. So last year when the grand final was on, everyone would go there and hang out and it's got the Dustin Martin mural on the side of it that's been painted, which is one of our players, Jeff. But we met with the girls and we just hung out there. That was so good. The staff are so good. They're mostly all Richmond supporters or at least Richmond affectionate. And uh, they just let us hang out there all day. We ate food, had some coffees, got our nerves out. People would walk past, which it was so good. Richmond supporters would walk past and stop and see us and go, oh, you're here early, girls. And we'd have a bit of a chat about the game. Uh, Weren't you getting free drinks somewhere? Uh, no. Yeah, for your 
corporate box tickets. You're supposed oh, to yeah, go. Oh, yeah, but I haven't got to that oh, yet. This, yeah. is, this is all oh, from TP, 2 p.m. With mm. the, this is early. This is daytime. I've got some photos with the dusty mural. It was just a really lovely day. What were you do? How did you end up at Victoria Park train station? Oh, I came on that line. So I actually drove across. I had to give the car to It's a really boring story. That's why I didn't oh, mention it. Right. I had to drive so, across and give the car to Andrew. Because I looked at the time and I would have been there at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, and I got off. Anyway, I got off at Victoria Park and I had to stand. That's like Collingwood ground. So I was in enemy, enemy territory. territory. Oh. Uh, and it was just, I can't even tell you how lovely the whole day was. It was mm. just a really joyful day hanging out with my girls, talking about footy. Con, the owner of Rowena Parade, came out, had a chat, said he was feeling really confident. Uh, Peggy O'Neill, our president, lives around the corner. We ran into one of her friends. Was oh. yeah, it was just it was a, you know when you go, everything's a sign. Yeah, we saw oh, everything. Signs. Yes, and then we went and sat by the MCG for a while around the outside of it and waited for mate's parents. And it was just lovely. It was one of those really joyful days. And then I met my brother Darv at uh, Punt Road, and there was oh my god, the pregame. <laughs> so I. A friend of mine had said to me, it's not a cocktail party that you're going to before the game. So these fancy corporate tickets. She's like, it's drinks on the basketball court inside Punt Road, which is our training facility next to the MCG. And she was not lying. It's like we went in and it's just like hundreds of Richmond fans, like like me or you or, you know, yeah. just you, you, dressed no. up in all of their colours and stuff. There's no dress code. Uh, a guy up the front, they were interviewing other footballers, like Bob Murphy was there. And and Billy Brownless, who I didn't really, I was like, why are you interviewing them in a Richmond stronghold? Yeah. And there was a basketball court full of Richmond supporters. There was a trestle table with drinks on it. There was someone walking around with party pies. Then a guy gets up and starts like this lovely guy called it's like Trevor from accounting, I think, from <laughs> Richmond. Got up and started playing his acoustic guitar and did some covers. And wow. it was it was wow. like being at an RSL before. <laughs> And then I got to, and so I had. had Look, it's so funny you hear about the elite side of the AFL, and then it's so amateur hour on other things. It was always like this is like a great RSL gathering. I I didn't have a problem with it, but it was funny because it's called like the cocktail hour, and I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) And uh, but it was nice because you go and actually look at Punt Road. Punt Road was open, so look at the oval, have a Mm. beer, sync it all up. Uh, Then uh, the game. Me and my brother had brilliant seats. Brilliant seats. We were right next to the Fox Footy commentary team. Uh, and it was a beautiful night right up until the game. And then the wow. game started. And it was a pretty devastating game. i got to say, I last about four weeks ago, we did a um, an episode of our Fangirls podcast and we had an astrologist ah. do the astrology yeah. for the stars. And I said to her at the end of that, I said, everything you've said to me tells me that Pies win the grand final, Grant Magpies. And I couldn't get that out of my head. So I just going into the game, I had such a sense of dread. My brother even turned around and looked at me when we were walking in and he goes, why do I feel like this? And I'm like, because this is going to be a bad night. I just knew it. So I was we, so be good to be prepared. I was prepared. And even though it was quite shocking that it, it was pretty brutal mm. early on, I kind of, I was really zen. You know, it's weird when it was actually oh. easier to accept the result earlier on yeah. than it be a tight match and lose by... Yes. One goal. And it wasn't what I wanted to see. I felt really sad for the team. Like I didn't feel, you know, some people get angry. There's a lot of people crying around me. Like a lot really? of yeah, really passionate Richmond supporters just crying their eyes out. And like big blokes, you know, when you, you get quite surprised, you're like, oh, yeah. this is really mean something to you. And But I, I don't know. I was there with my brother and we were so sad, but it was really nice to be with him and just kind of go, oh, this has been the best season we've yeah. ever had. Like Conrad Marshall, who wrote that Yellow and Black book, did a really great tweet after the game just saying, 
actually this has been the greatest season to be a Tiger fan for the 30 years and it's and it has been and I've had so much fun. It was just sad that it didn't... It was but sad isn't it that great, my, though, you know, as well, that now Andrew can... No. Have... <laughs> Andrew got... Oh, my bro- so how does that is, resolve? My brother got Andrew tickets. He was sitting on the other side of the MCG and I was like, Jesus. And we were quite close to the Collingwood cheer squad who were Collingwood <laughs> and... They've got this US, they've got a player from the US and every time he got the ball, he, had the, he was best on ground. Mm-hmm. Every time he got the ball, they'd go, the whole MCG would go, USA, USA, which was, I can't even tell you oh. how upsetting it was. You're like, oh, God. Okay, yeah, that's, a, yeah, I'm with you. But Andrew's been okay. So we, I said to me and Darfs did this sad walk to Smith Street together. We're like, let's just walk it out. We won't go towards Richmond. We'll go and have a beer together. Uh, I ran into a bunch of listeners. Actually, one of our listeners who requested a song heard my voice <laughs> and goes, I requested a song of you the other day. And I met his daughter, the Richmond supporters, and we had a little oh. chat together and a commiserations. And then, sorry, this is a really long, this isn't even my weekend. This is just the bloody <laughs> footy. Anyway, and then uh, went to Smith Street and I didn't, uh, Andrew came and joined us later. And he did one in your face and then left it at that. Oh, yeah, but it's nice, nice for him to – now his team gets to experience he a grand final. He experienced it seven years ago, though. It's kind of hard you to feel like happy for enough. someone. Yeah, like you've had your time. Wait 30 years. But that, mm, oh. Yeah, okay. All right, anyway, it was a good weekend. Thanks, guys. <laughs> this is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah Jerga. Is a new film opening in cinemas this Thursday with a special screening tonight at the Nova. We're very fortunate to be joined now by its director, Benjamin Gilmore, and its star, Sam Smith. Welcome to Breakfasters, both of you. Thank you. Morning. This is a film about an Australian soldier returning several years later to the village in Kandahar, Afghanistan, where he saw action. In the movie, what is it that brings him back to the village? What is he trying to do? Mike Wheeler is his name and he's a former soldier, Australian soldier, who uh, was involved in a raid a few years earlier on this village in which he accidentally killed a civilian. It's been sitting very badly with him. Uh, He's left the army and uh, instead of kind of imploding as a lot of, um, sadly, a lot of uh, veterans do, he makes uh, a very bold decision to do something about it and travels back to Afghanistan, essentially as a, in the guise of being a tourist, to track down the family of the man he killed and apologise. The incident at the village sounds very similar to real-life incidents that we've heard about in Oregon province where the Australian Special Forces have been active. Sam, when you were preparing for this role, were you? did you talk to any of the Australian soldiers who'd been involved in, in, in those kind of incidents? And if I, so, what did they say to you? I didn't speak to anyone who had been involved in the incidents you've read about in the paper. I spoke to a number of different uh, military personnel <clears throat> about their experience of being in Afghanistan and uh, also uh, to, I spoke to people about their experience of having taken a life and how that sat with them. Um, and then I uh, sat with that myself and sort of put myself in those shoes and, and went from there. Uh, the thing that really jumped out about but this film and I was saying I was talking about this before we came on air is the 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 footage the landscape in which is set is so breathtakingly beautiful mm. that we're used to seeing Afghanistan in terms of war and 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 conflict but this film just shows it as this amazing kind of multicolored landscape tell us about the filming and how you got that incredible footage well, I mean, it was an absolute pleasure shooting in that environment, um, despite the dangers uh, that, that were under at times. You're in this incredible landscape that, as you say, you don't often see. And that was part of our objective, was to uh, 
you know, bring this image of Afghanistan, mm-hmm. this truth about Afghanistan that people don't often get to witness uh, to, 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 to the West, um, not just about the landscape, which is stunning, but also about the character of the people, um, mm-hmm. which, is, which is really wonderful. And we, we benefited from the, their generosity and their, their, their beauty. So mm-hmm. it was part of the, the broader goal of, of showing the other side of, of this country and the conflict. I read that it was meant to be filmed originally in Pakistan and then there was an issue with the Pakistani secret police reading the script and not mm. agreeing with it and then you had to move to Afghanistan. Could you speak a little bit about what happened there? Well, in Pakistan, nothing really happens unless the, the inter-services intelligence agencies are behind it and yeah. uh, it's a very shady organisation, you know, who have been accused of uh, helping finance 9-11 and um, harbour bin Laden and so on. So we didn't really want to be uh, too involved with them but it's it's kind of one of those uh, necessary evils that you have to acquire a no-objection certificate from them to, to operate, certainly in the tribal areas where we wanted to shoot alongside the Afghan border. But um, they deemed the script too politically sensitive and decided to block our shoot. Our funding was tied to to that, that those permissions because we were initially being funded by a Pakistani businessmen. So that money disappeared. We were left with very little. We had to then make a decision uh, whether to come home or to carry on and, and try a plan B that we had uh, set up in Afghanistan. It was pretty very stressful plan. in a stressful situation. <laughs> yeah, that's really full on. Did you just have to think on your feet and... The whole, the whole time we were there, we're thinking on our feet, really. I mean, you'd have sort of just things pop up that you couldn't expect, you know. I mean, we had uh, situations where, for, for whatever reason, we weren't able to film in a location that day, so we just have to go, OK, then what can we film? Because we're on a, a limited amount of time and we obviously didn't want to spend too much time in that country because you don't want to push your luck too much, you know. Did you have... Um, did you feel scared at all? Like, did you have... In my mind... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there was definitely periods that were very... For, for me, I can definitely say that there yeah. were definitely periods where I was very uh, fearful, you know, because we were in areas where you were literally waking up at 2am and 3am in the morning to a gunshot or a mortar blast and things like that. But that was coupled with also spending time in areas that were probably the most beautiful places I've seen in the world. Mm. You know, so it's a real dichotomy. For, for authenticity's sake, we needed to shoot in in Pashtun areas, uh, in Nangarhar province, right up against the Pakistani border in the east. And that particular p- province, among a few provinces, is some, one of the most uh, risky mm-hmm. at the moment. There are, there's um, Daesh, ISIS is, 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 is um, present there, uh, Taliban, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, those, those, those pressures were there. But <clears throat> we were under the protection of the Afghans who we were collaborating with and who really wanted to um, see, make sure this film uh, saw the light of day and mm-hmm. they did everything in their power to, to make sure we were safe so that this film could get out there. No, we couldn't have made that film without the assistance of the people there. Mm. How did you get that assistance in the first place? How did that meeting come about? They, they've really got a... I mean, Afghans are, are very good judges of character and they take their time in um, trying to see how you tick and... Um, and, and what your motives are and what you are what you like as a person so we spent a lot of time drinking tea put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's talk about that because that's the other notable thing about this film it succeeds in humanizing the Afghan people in a way that we're not very accustomed mm. to seeing in the Australian media even going so far as to humanize the Taliban which is extraordinarily rare in most media mm. presentations they're just shown as evil savages and that's mm. the long and the short mm-hmm. of it. Are you expecting the film to be controversial? Because this is not a presentation that 
we will very often see in the West. Sure. I mean, not uh, surprisingly, that hasn't come up too much in, in Q&As and mm-hmm. interviews. Um, but it was the, the number one concern I had, not really concern, but expectation that I had mm-hmm. that would uh, attract some controversy. And, I mean, uh, my personal position is that um, I, I believe most people can be humanised, and that includes uh, the so-called enemy. Uh, and Taliban are part of the social fabric of that country. Um, what we're discovered what we've you know realized now is that the tele- majority of Taliban are walking distance from their villages so it gives more of a us uh, more of an understanding of, of of this conflict as being one where for a lot of Afghans despite its complexity the compl- the, the conflict despite its complexity there is a certain simplicity to it as well in the minds of many Afghans uh, as a fight against an occupying uh, foreign power or powers that are on their soil. So, from a, the Taliban point of view, there are some there are sympathies I have with that uh, point of view, and I believe that most Afghans, and certainly this was conveyed to us while we we're over there, are ready for a peace treaty with that group, and they believe that it's going to be possible to have some kind of um, agreement uh, where they can work together in that country for common peace. And just very, very quickly before we let go, the, the other thing that was a real revelation to me was um, the acting performances by the Pashtun actors in this film. How did you find them? What proportion of the people were professional actors? Um, you know, had, had they been in something similar to this before? Uh, we had a couple of people in the film who had acted before, but the majority of people you see in the film are actually um, people we just found and, and spoke with and, and uh, we, we basically looked at people and, and, f- and found that a lot of these people had had experiences not too different from what we needed them to portray. So we would talk to them and, and obviously look and see if they had the right sort of feel and gravitas for that type of role and then work with them. But it was a real pleasure working with people who weren't actors because <laughs> there's not much acting on it. It's just real living together, you know, and, and capturing that. So, yeah. Um, as I said, it's an extraordinary film. It's called Jerga. It's opening... Um everywhere in Thursday, but there's a special screening tonight and you guys are going to be doing a Q&A at the Nova tonight. We'll be there. Excellent. We've been talking to the direct, director, <laughs> Benjamin Gilmore, <laughs> and the actor, Sam Smith. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Yeah, we love bees. Uh, you're <coughs> listening to Breakfast. <laughs> Can I just just, just pull you back on the bees? bees. Mm. I did that story earlier today. I think it was during the Magic House and not that many people would have heard it, but it was about the hospital that had an infestation. Yeah, with the honey leaking from the roof, I remember. Mm. Yes, and I said the honey was oozing from the roof and you said it was delicious. Yes. Yeah. I was just thinking about it afterwards. Not very many contexts where you'd use the word ooze and someone would say it was delicious. Uh, Excuse me, ice cream oozing. Yeah. Out of my oh, mouth. Chocolate fudge oozing down no, my chin. It's just yeah. one of those horrible words. Not as bad as squirts, but anyway, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I um, There's just a football there's a football commentator who uses the term squirts all the time the and floor. it really annoys me. Yeah, B, on the football BT on the floor he goes, the there's the, oh, the, the ball no, he goes, the ball just squirted out of the pack. Oh, you can't say Go! that. No. A ball doesn't squirt. Anyway. No, it doesn't ooze either. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've ruined the talk break. No, no. I think we've brought it up to where it needs to be. Okay, good. Uh, anyway. Oh. <laughs> You've top and tail today, haven't you? Like uh, This morning you told us about your, 
your rotten spew milk bag. <laughs> And now you've <laughs> to clear that up. There was no spew in my bag. It was rotten yeah, milk. Yeah, well, everyone made everyone spew though. What didn't is this it? great radio that I've missed <laughs> I about the rotten spew bag? <laughs> Tune in six fifteen uh, every morning. The magic yeah. hour. Uh, anyway, hey, so I um I went back to work yesterday. I'm not working right now, but um Proper I went work. back to my old old job of um, doing after school care, like outside in school holidays now. So it was first day of vacation care. And uh, like I hadn't been at work for for months and months and months. And I just kind of decided to to go back for, you know, just because I actually really like the job. I mean, you know, I'm not going back because I need to for the for the money or anything. I just really liked it. I like the people that I worked with and it, um I like the, you know, the kids that's that not I nice. worked with. You as had well. a bit yeah. of free time recently too, didn't you? Yeah, and yeah. I thought, do you know what? I can I can do this. It'll be fun. But it was also a bit of oh, should I should I be like there was mo- leading up to it, it was like I was a bit nervous about going about back. About going back oh. really. Were you worried the kids wouldn't like you? That is a constant worry. Yeah. <laughs> Every day, yeah. That's I reckon that's a an unspoken stress of the that kind of work. Is that oh, what if yeah. the kids just don't like there, you, like dogs? Do you ever mm. run into any people that you work with who have that problem? That for some yeah, reason me. the kids just I, decide they don't like them. Yes, me. I have that problem. Really? Sometimes yeah. the kids don't like you. Yeah, sometimes the kids don't like me, and I noticed it was oh. um, yeah. And I because I when I went back the other day, um, like I had one shift like in the afternoons, like my mm. first one back. And there was this kid who, um, like, we were playing a lot of, you know, kind of group activities, like team sports and stuff. And this kid never wanted to be on my team. Like, and it was, oh, it mean was, kid. yeah, oh, it was subtle. That but, takes me back to primary school no. and getting chosen last. Oh, mate. It was, and it was, no one else was picking up on it. He was just like, oh, no, I want to be on um, this person's team. And, you know, just anything where I kind of, and I went, I think I've, he might have got it. I might have um, had it. He might have got into trouble once ages ah. ago from me. I might have said something to oh, him. He's harboring a grudge. Yeah, I think so. How but, did you clear it up? Did you pull him aside and ask? No, no, no. I just kind oh. of I, I left, but I didn't dwell on that. I'm going, oh, yeah, that, right. That's cool. Do you you know, you go on that. You know. Do you think he'll have that grudge for the rest of his life? Maybe. Oh no, God, I'll, I'll turn that. him around. He'll re- he'll <laughs> he comes up to you when he's 28 <laughs> yeah. and he's like, I've been holding on to this. <laughs> no, no, I'll turn him around. Give me give me a week or so. Um, but oh, it was funny, like when I got to work yesterday, I was telling Sarah this before, I was walking um, past this kid who was, he'd been playing basketball. <laughs> I was talking to someone else. And this kid, and he just stopped, he drops the ball and he looks at me and he goes, You've got the same accent as someone on the radio. And I went, what radio station do you listen to? And he goes, I don't know. (laughs) I went, is it Triple R? And he went, oh, yeah, maybe. And I went, it's me. That's me. And his eyes just went... Whoa! How cool is that? Yeah. Wouldn't that be the coolest thing to hear yeah, from someone that's looking after you? Also, I love that he calls it an accent. Yes, <laughs> when well, he just means voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same accent. Anyway, we were best mates for the rest of the day. That's so. really sweet. I mean, that Ma- helped in making friends. Maybe well. you just got to let the other kid know that the one who's yeah, got the grudge. Yeah, that, that, yeah, hey, but, kid, I'm on the radio. Yeah. Do you always feel like you have to make it make yourself cool? When I was doing some work with the homework club in Collingwood a few mm. years ago and I'd often be doing homework with teenagers and I'd be trying everything 
to make them think I was cool. So I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, sometimes I interview musicians for my job, trying to be, like, down with their... (laughs) And they just had no interest in me whatsoever. There was nothing I could say that would make them mildly interested in me. And I found it quite depressing. Do you know, you need to go in... They don't care about musos and stuff. They don't care about that. It's like if you get in on something like football, that's where that's where you can chat to them about. Or what footy team do you go for? Oh, and then if felt, you can, most of them are into soccer. Uh, yeah, like I couldn't even get in on a on a sports on level. a sports level. <laughs> <laughs> How's about that ball squirting out of the pack? <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah on the last day of Radiothon, the pay-up day if you've pledged or just the ordinary day if you want to subscribe and go in the running for all of the terrific prizes that are on offer for this year's Radiothon. Existentialism is the name of a show on at the Melbourne Fringe, running until the 29th of September at the Fringe Hub at Arts House, Studio 2. The person behind it is Joanne Ryan and she's joining us now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. This is a show inspired by dilemmas that you faced when you were 35. What were those dilemmas and what brought them all to a head? Uh, So, um, I turned 35 and I was well. So I was part of a theatre incubation scheme called uh, Hatch LK in Limerick, where I'm from, in Ireland. Uh, And we were going to be working with a theatre company called Theatre... uh, um, Theatre Uncut, rather, from the UK, which are a political theatre company. So I knew going into it that I'd be making a political piece of work, but I didn't know what about. And on the first day... Uh, they we did an icebreaker where they asked us to like talk about something for one minute that we were angry about or afraid of and so I did my my spiel and then at the end kind of as a joke I said and I don't know whether or not I want to have a baby and then I realised oh actually the joke's on me because that's true and I had just turned 35 the week before and I think that's an age that's kind of typically associated mm. with your fertility falling off a cliff and the internet <laughs> and, you know, and I was like oh no and I hadn't really thought about it genuinely was totally ambivalent had never considered it didn't feel any different physically emotionally psychologically than I had 10 years earlier but suddenly felt like this was a decision that I had to consider or think about for the first time and or else the decision would be made for me by inaction um, so I decided that that's what the show would be about so did you come home from the workshop and start talking to your partner about well, these heavy issues? I had just met my boyfriend, so oh. we had we oh, only whoa. had about two dates at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> so on our third whoa. date, <laughs> on our third date, I was like, "So, do you want I'm, the babies?" I'm writing a play about my eggs, <laughs> but don't worry, <laughs> everything's fine. Um, but no, he was he was great, and he became his his reaction and his own journey actually around this became uh, a kind of crucial component of the show because when I told him uh, that night he said well that's really important um, and people aren't talking about it and you're certainly not on your own in this and and I'm in the same position actually even though okay so maybe I don't have the same time pressures as a, as a guy I still have to make the decision and I'm also 35 and I don't know whether I or not I want to have kids and so I suppose what I was interested in was uh, there's obviously lots of things that are gender specific about the issue, but for me, it's primarily a generational question. You know, it's about being part of the first generation of humans ever to have a choice. Um, 
And then how do you make it when you're the first? Mm. There's no blueprint, actually, for that. Because my mum, like when I got pregnant in Ireland, my mum is in the show. She plays herself throughout in audio recordings (laughs) and is really the star. She's got all the best lines. It's very annoying for me. (laughs) Um, She's hilarious. Uh, So she's just kind of passing remarks on everything through the show. Um, Being very Irish mammy. She's there as an intergenerational link, though, as well. Because when she... When she got pregnant with me in 1979, contraception was still illegal in Ireland for people who weren't married. And so she didn't have a choice, and my grandmother certainly didn't. And so I thought that was really interesting about how your historical and social and family context can inform your big life decisions, you know. Did your mum then kind of understand why you were even having to ask this question? Uh, she did. I mean, she was kind of a bit bemused in the beginning. She became a part of the show because we were talking about it a lot as yeah. I was trying to unpick it. And then I sort of, the stuff that she was coming out with was so interesting, kind of became clear that she needed to be part of the show, actually. Because, of course, every, even though I'm like, I'm an independent person making my own decisions, but of course I'm totally influenced and informed by her life. and her. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's just, it was a recognition of that, is that we're... we're you're making independent decisions to a point, but actually mm. really you're a product of your family and your culture and your society and your history and, and, and all of that is consciously and unconsciously part of every, of every decision you make. I think that's really interesting. Uh, you talk about it as a generational issue in Australia, I guess one of the issues facing by young people making adult decisions is this sort of sense that the dice are all loaded against them, they're probably never going to own a house, they're struggling to get a decent job. Is that the same for people in Ireland or was that kind of a a factor when you were weighing up this stuff, this sort of sense that I'm never going to be a proper adult in the way that people feel it here in Australia? Um, Yeah, that's very much the case in Ireland. Um, We have a massive housing crisis going on at the moment. Um, soaring levels of homelessness and increasingly a lot of families and children are homeless. So um, a lot of people I know will never afford to own their own homes, you know. So that's very much the case in Ireland too. Um, Did it affect my decision personally? Um, It was a factor, certainly. Like I was saying, I didn't feel any more grown up than Mm. I had been 25 years earlier, but suddenly had to make this decision. But it wasn't... I suppose I was more interested as well in... um, the things like, uh, you know, gender equality and equality in parenting or inequality, more to the point, um, in parenting in Ireland and the reality, what the realities would be if I was to have a child, um, which are quite, can be quite stark, actually. Uh, so I was more interested in that and how that would affect any eventual... <laughs> I was just going to say, what is that reality like in Ireland? Because I think for some of us, we have very... I think of Ireland through the kind of traditional Catholic lens. And I know that's yeah. changing a lot. You know, yes. there's this push with abortion laws and also, you, you know, legalised gay marriage. So things have shifted a lot. But is it still kind of you have a baby and you stop working and the woman is the primary carer? Yes, very much so. Okay. So there was, um, so I did a lot of research as part of the show. So I, t- I spent about two years making the show and did a lot of, of research as part of that. And so there's woven through my own story of trying to make the decision in this kind of madcap odyssey, which is very funny. There's also um, like sections of animated documentary that chart Ireland's reproductive health history from 1916, the inception of the state, and also the year my granny was born, uh, to uh, 2016, which was the year I was making the show and the, and the decision ultimately. Um, and I did that so that we could see where we've come from and how we're in the situation we're in now in lots of ways. And one of the final 
moments of 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 those sections is a, re, a study that was done by the UN as I was about to put the show on in Ireland for the first time, which showed that in that Ireland had the most unequal. Um, childcare in the world. Really? In the entire world. Like, I knew it was bad. Huh. I didn't know it was that bad. And there were countries in that study, like Saudi Arabia and Iraq, and it, what, you know, not just European countries or Western countries. Um, so it was really shocking. And the outcome was that just 7% of unpaid childcare in Ireland is done by men in 2016. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. There was a woman after the show last night who came up to me and she was crying. And she's like, it was so funny, but I'm so sad. I didn't realise things were like that in Ireland. And I was like, also a lot of Irish people didn't. So yeah. I made that show for an Irish audience. And it's funny when we do, we've been travelling internationally now for the past year or so, and you hear gasps in the audience like, <gasps> you know, they can't believe it. But people were gasping when we did it in Ireland too. Like sometimes you're not aware, actually you kind of mm. can't see the wood for the trees in your own your own. Has anything as well. changed since since twenty sixteen? Oh, oh I not, feel like it's no. <laughs> not hugely in that respect. But we did um we did repeal the Eighth Amendment yes. in May and that was just signed out of our legislation last Tuesday. Oh, oh yeah. congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's obviously... So that's some good news. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's obviously symbolic importance. I mean, are you seeing changes, are you expecting changes to flow through into real people's lives? I mean, hopefully, yeah, because, um, yeah. I mean, well, it's been repealed now officially. We're waiting for the new draft legislation to be put together and signed in by our president. Um, so, yeah, so as soon as that's together, which I think they're hoping October sometime... Um, then we should be, services will start to be introduced then and I'm sure it'll be a gradual thing. But it's a huge, I mean, it's a momentous moment, you know, hugely important for me and for women in Ireland. What's the next big issue you want to work on? It's funny, after we, after, (laughs) (laughs) what else are we going to fix? After marriage equality referendum, so I was part of the campaign for that and and canvas for that. And it was, that night was such a great celebration, but I had this, kind of feeling in the pit of my stomach like oh now the abortion referendum is is inevitable and I knew it that night and I was scared of what was to come because it was always going to be a nasty hard won thing Mm. Um, and I didn't have that same feeling on the night of the Ah. abortion referendum result but there's still I mean there's still so much like we have horrible situation with direct provision at the moment in Ireland where uh, people who, who arrive seeking asylum and refuge are live in awful conditions for very extended periods of time and there's a lot and yeah. the homelessness no. crisis. not even allowed in this country anymore. No, I know, I've been following what's happening I feel here. like we're the king on that, <laughs> that, that particular... Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Uh, this show is called Existentialism with an E.G. egg. Uh, it's on at the Fringe Hub Arts House Studio 2 until the 29th September. We've been talking to its writer and performer Joanne Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks Ryan. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Time for Feature Creatures here on Breakfasters. It's time to be joined by Simon Hinckley from Museums Victoria. How are you going, Simon? I'm good, thanks. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. What bug have you brought in for us today? I thought we'd talk about scorpions because as the weather's warming up, they're also uh, increasing their activity and getting around out and about a bit more. So 
Scorpions, oh, and also I guess when people think of scorpions, they often think large venomous desert-dwelling things, but yes. we've actually got scorpions that will be found probably not far from this studio, so right what? into the inner suburbs <gasps> of Melbourne. Really? Yeah. Little scorpions. Little scorpions, yeah. So often people will contact the museum and say, I've lived here for 40 years and I've just seen this scorpion, so they must be moving in, and you're like, no, 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 they've always been here. It's just that they're small, nocturnal and cryptic, so just, you know, you haven't noticed that they've just been doing their thing. I was telling these guys when we heard what the topic was that uh, when I was in Mexico years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night. It was kind of in this coast, tiny little coastal town, and the net that was covering my bed to keep mosquitoes off was just covered in kind of like hand, little hand-sized scorpions. That's quite scary because, yeah. just because um, Australia doesn't have any of the uh, potentially fatal ones, but Mexico does. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that, well, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> um, apparently, speaking of Mexico, they apparently get about 250,000 recorded stings every year of the people that bother to record, I've been stung, but they've actually reduced their death rate from about 2,000 to 50 by having <gasps> the antivenom widely distributed ah, around the country. So you were pe- sitting there surrounded possibly by... Death. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Well, when I screamed and a lovely man who ran the place that was staying at came running and laughed at us. He's, oh. he, he just swept them away with a broom. But there we go. It might have been one of the non, sort of very dangerous species, but Maybe. Mexico is known as a hotspot. But for. is that a lot? Fifty people a, a year dying from. School. It's not if you, for example, if you look at the road toll for Mexico. Not that I have, but I'm sure it's much much higher. But than if you 50. compare it with how many people in Australia die from snake bites, snake bites, or whatnot. It's well, fifty. Oh yeah, that's a good it's point. I mean, it's actually yeah. And in terms of, it's 50s, well, it's a lot for those 50 people, but it's not a lot in the big scheme of things. Big, um, there's big lots population of population as yeah, well. Right. Yeah, it's a huge, it's, yeah, I'm not sure how many, it's much bigger than Australia. Mm. Um, and actually, in terms of Australia, we don't have many of the, we like to think of ourselves as having the biggest, the worst, the scariest, and we do pretty well in the snakes, um, the spiders, the crocodiles, the sharks, most other things, but in terms jellyfish. of scorpions, yeah, jellyfish, even the platypus has a venom spur mm-hmm. on its back foot. So we've got one of the few venomous mammals. But the scorpions in Australia are relatively wussy in the sense that there's not been a confirmed recorded fatality. So it'll yeah. hurt. But um, if you did wake up in the night and your mosquito netting was covered in scorpions in Australia, you'd be okay. okay. And they're not actually looking to get in and get you. They just might have been attracted by something or there might have been other insects that they're actually attracted to. Mm. Yeah. So they eat other insects? Yeah, so they're all carnivorous. Um, Are they, they like spiders? Yeah, oh. pretty. Yeah, so yes. In the How sense so? that they're, they're an arachnid, so oh. they, they were considered an insect for a long time, despite the eight legs. Um, but, yes, they're, they're, like an, they're an arachnid. And they've actually been important in, in cultures for a long time. So the Greeks called one of the constellations uh, Scorpios, which is now what we call Scorpio. So they've been uh, important sort of symbols for a lot of cultures through time, usually in a negative sense because... Yeah, they they get a bad rap. They've yeah. got a sting. They're like a spider, that sort of thing. Um, so in, in Australia, we've got about probably high 40s in terms of species. Yeah. Um, and they're really successful animals. They're like sort of little miniature, I think of them as like little sort of miniature tanks. The terrestrial ones have been around for 300 million plus years and they've not changed a lot. So they predate dinosaurs. Um, the really early records when they were aquatic were up to a metre in length, so they were oh they boy. were fairly impressive. So oh. we've scaled down. But, um, I can't believe they haven't featured in Jurassic Park yet. The only thing I could think of was if anyone's seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, yes. Remember, yes. Angie gets stung by a scorpion and, and gets killed. So, That's again, right. bad scorpion, oh, good ant. Spoiler alert, <laughs> 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 Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Um, 
Yeah, so Australia are not doing too badly. But in terms of why they're so successful is they basically can go up to a year without feeding, so they can just really slow down their metabolism. If they happen to fall in the water, they can last a couple of days without drowning. They're really effective um, little predators. They do actually have a very interesting mating routine that's called promenade dirt, which basically anything in French immediately becomes classy. So what the male does is he grabs her pedipalps, which are her large pincers at the front, and they have this sort of backwards and forwards routine where it's basically sort of like a weird dance that can last for hours. And he then will actually put a little spermatophore, a little packet of sperm on the ground, and he's trying to position her over that. And sometimes he stings her to, like, sedate her or calm her down, which in a human sense doesn't sound very good. (laughs) No. But it's worked for them for hundreds of millions of years. And sometimes he is actually killed by her and and eaten, so it swings around about. Oh, yeah, Yeah. it is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yes. Gets his come up. Yeah, yeah. And one of the other amaz- amazing things that they do is that scorpions will actually fluoresce if you put a UV light over them. So, you know, when those like crime scene things, when they go in with UV light and, well, they're, they're showing yeah, different things. Was, but... There was a bar in Melbourne that had um, a bunch of scorpions oh, under cool. UV lights. Yeah. yeah. Why? Is that what's. Well, it's something in their exoskeleton because when they molt, so scorpions, as they get bigger, will molt each time because they need to split their skin and get a, grow into a, a bigger body. So oh, when they, they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So when they molt, they don't fluoresce. So as that skin hardens, they do fluoresce, even when they're dead. So we've got drawers of scorpions at the museum that if we put a UV light over, glow this amazing colour that, that you've seen, Geraldine. Mm. And as to why they do it, uh, we don't know. Like, for example, mm. there's fluorescent rocks. Now, obviously, they've not... That's not a strategy for the rocks. They just no. fluoresce. Yeah. So there's a possibility that they just fluoresce. Some people say that if they're giving off UV light, that might actually attract nocturnal insects to them, possibly. <gasps> One other possibility is that it dis- it's almost like the entire scorpion body becomes an eye. So if it can detect that it's fluorescing, it knows that it's exposed to the moon. If it's not fluorescing, it's under shelter where it's protected. So there's a whole lot oh. of reasons mm. out there as to, to what it may be. Just to back up, you said it can go underwater and live for two days. How does it do that? It do, it's not like it chooses to. It's not like I'm, you know, what I'm going to head down there and, and just hang out in the water. But should it happen to fall in the water or it's being chased by something and falls in the water, it can actually sort of close. It has little book lungs lungs on the other underside that it breathes through, it can close those up like um, often when spiders fall in the in the pool, they can close all their spiracles up on their book lungs and stay alive for hours. So we always say to people, don't fish out a spider or a scorpion from the bottom of your pool with your hands because it might be just sitting there going, at some point someone's going to pick me up and then I'm out of here. Them. Yeah, and ah. I might bite you or sting you. Yeah. So it's not that they would Should choose to go... Full. <laughs> It's not that they choose to go in, but if they do, um, they can shut everything down and survive for up to two days. But don't they need oxygen? They do, but because they've they've got oxygen in their system and because they can close I've everything down oh. and yeah, and, sh- and slow the metabolism, they can just survive for that long period of time. And so, how big did you say they get in Australia? Like, what's the largest? In that we Australia, have? the largest is probably about twelve, thirteen centimeters. Oh, yeah. That? Okay. Yeah. yeah right. The biggest in the world is about twenty twenty two centimeters. Oh, yeah. And then cool. they found all, all over Australia. All over Australia. Yeah. They're pretty much found all around the world except Antarctica. They've been introduced to England and New Zealand, but the rest of the world. Yeah. How do I get to this age and not know that we have scorpions in this country? I know. You're not alone. Yeah. But, well, basically, because you're not out on your hands and well, I'm assuming you're not Why out on your hands and knees at, at night in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> a little UV light trying to find scorpions, yeah, but yeah, true. yeah. 
amazing. Now's the moment where you open up a bag and release them all onto the, <laughs> <laughs> onto the table. Yes, oh, and I was actually thinking, sorry, on your when you mentioned the world record in the news, I was just thinking um, I was reading there's a lady in the Philippines who's got two world records. The first is the amount of time that someone's held a scorpion alive in their mouth. She's probably the only person to be in that category. <laughs> but she's also spent... 33 hours in a container with 5,000 scorpions to get the world record. And she was stung 13 times. So oh. she, she earned her record. Well. And she didn't use a fatal species, which was wise. Good on yeah. her. Yeah. Well, well done, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Simon. Fascinating as always. Thank we'll you. talk to you again soon. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.